Bibles, turn to Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Give you a chance to get there. Before you get there, I want to talk to you this morning about the generosity of God in regards to repentance. Many times you can hear the term, the generosity of God. You can pretty much go to the cross or the empty grave and you can see that. But I want to talk to you this morning about the generosity of God in regards to repentance. However, before I do that, I would like to talk to you about Warren Buffett. Are you okay with that? All right. Warren Buffett is known as the Oracle of Omaha. That's his nickname. He is a businessman, a very wealthy businessman, with a net worth of 62.4 billion dollars. Say it again, 62.4 billion dollars. He's the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. This is what he has been on the Forbes list as one of the wealthiest men in the world for years. This year, 2014, was put out. He is number four. Last year, he teamed up with 3G Capital to pick up the iconic ketchup maker, Heinz, for $23.2 billion. He bought that. He invested nearly $4 billion in ExxonMobil and a Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary. He also bought Nevada's Envy Energy for $5.6 billion dollars. Despite his gift of $2 billion to the Berkshire stock, in Berkshire stock, to the Gates Foundation in July. He gives away $2 billion. He buys a company for $23.2 billion. He invests $4.4 billion, but then again, he is worth $62.4 billion, and his net worth went up $4 billion after making all of those purchases. That is a very wealthy man. Not only that, but Warren Buffett has also said, he's also said that he is challenged all the billionaires in the world to give away half of all of their fortune. After all, who can really live off of $62.4 billion? I know in my flesh I'd like to try. I mean, wouldn't you? I'd like to give it a shot. But he's given $20 million away to date. To date, he's given away $20 million away. Well, then there is the richest of rich and the, probably the most generous of generous. And that's Bill Gates, Mr. Microsoft himself. He is number one on the Forbes list after being off for seven years. Seriously, what was he thinking? But for seven years, he was off the list. Now he has reclaimed the title of number one on the Forbes richest men in the world. He has $72.7 billion net worth. $72.7 billion. He's the 37th richest country in the world. Seriously? If he was to give $10 to everyone in the United States, he would still have $2.26 billion left. Not too shabby. Everybody give you a $10 bill and he's still got $2.26 billion left. He has given away 26 to 28 billion dollars. He is seen by everybody in the world today as the, the wealthiest, yet the most generous of all. Because how much money he has given away. Buffett and Gates have partnered together to really encourage people to be generous with their money. 
And so we're sitting here looking at Warren Buffett at $62.4 billion, and we look at Bill Gates at $72.7 billion, and we look at it and we say, that's incredibly wealthy. And then we look at what they gave away, and we think, wow, that's incredibly generous. But you know what? They are hoarders compared to our Savior, Jesus Christ. They are hoarders compared to the wealth that he has and has demonstrated and the generosity he gives. There is no one, Bill Gates, LeBron James, Eli Manning, whatever the name, the sports figures, whatever it is, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you give, you pale in comparison to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one we gather here every Sunday in worship. Do you recognize that? And do you see that? The wealth and generosity of King Jesus is mind-boggling. I don't know about you, but when I talk about the generosity of God, I oftentimes go to Genesis 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning, God. And I'm like, wow, that is a great God. That's a generous God. That's a wealthy God. He created everything. And after everything he created, created, he said it was good. It was good. It was good. Then he came and he created us in his own image, and it says that it was very good. And I'm like, that is incredibly generous. That's incredibly wealthy to be able to do something like that. And when I think of the wealth and generosity of God, I'm oftentimes drawn to the verse that you memorized as a little kid if you grew up in church, and it's John 3, 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But don't miss 17, because 17 is unbelievable. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is generous. That is unbelievable wealth. I'm also blown away by Romans chapter five, verse eight, which says, while we were, here it is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when I look and I think about the generosity of God, I'm oftentimes, this is me as I'm sitting here, I'm I'm oftentimes driven to the cross at what happened on the cross. I'm oftentimes drawn to the empty grave. I've been to Israel myself. I've been to some of the places where they believe that Christ did this and Christ did that. I've sat in the Sea of Galilee in a boat and was paralyzed with just gratitude for a holy God who who has great wealth and great generosity. And the great generosity is, of course, demonstrated in the cross and it's demonstrated in the empty tomb. But this week, something radically allowed me to see as I was preparing for this text that there is one of the most generous, generous characteristics of the holy God we serve is in repentance. And in Proverbs 28, 13, that's exactly what he's talking about. You see, repentance is that act where we come clean before a holy God because of sin. Wayne Grudem says this. Wayne Grudem defines repentance as repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. However, I love the Puritan. Brian talked about a Puritan last week about the heart and all that stuff. And there was, I think, one book book written on one verse, Proverbs 4.23. But the Puritan Thomas Watson says this as he defined repentance He said, repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Say it again. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. 
And before we get to the text this morning, I want to talk to you about really two types of forgiveness that results in repentance. First and foremost, there is judicial forgiveness. What this is, it means that you have repented of your sins because there was a time in your life where you did not know who Jesus was. You didn't serve Jesus, you didn't follow Jesus, you didn't know Jesus. But there was a certain time in your life, period in your life, where someone introduced you to Jesus, told you that he died on the cross to set you free from your sins, and that if you would repent and believe, you would be saved. We call that judicial forgiveness. What that is, it's changing your position before a holy God. And that's the type of repentance that happens through judicial forgiveness. And then there's also parental forgiveness. And basically what that is, is I have a relationship with Jesus. I've been saved for, gosh, I was saved April 3rd, 1983. Listen, don't get caught up on a date. You don't have to have a date. I just remember the date, okay? I just remember the date. On April 3rd, 1983, I gave my life to the Lord. I got saved. It has radically changed my life. And, and it allows everything that I see and filter through because of that day. That was the day. And then what happens, we have what's called parental forgiveness, where we, as followers of Jesus, we mess up. Amen? We have bad thoughts. We have bad actions. And then there's this parental forgiveness that we have because God is our father. The Bible talks about him as an Abba father. He's our father and he forgives us when we come to him and repent. Even though we have that relationship with Jesus and our position with him has changed, God sees the sacrifice of Jesus in place of our sin. That still, we have sin in our life that we need to repent of, we need forgiveness of, and that's called parental forgiveness. And that's what our text is really talking about today. Solomon is coming forward and he's trying to basically help these guys have the skill or the wisdom to live life, to be able to put the puzzle of life together, to, to, to put it together in order to live the way that God would have us to live. And in Proverbs 28, 13, I think really there's two things that we can learn, two points that we can learn. Let's read the text first and then we'll take a look at the generosity of God demonstrated in the gift of repentance. The generosity of God and the gift of repentance. As you're turning there, I just have to tell you, I got a text last night from Matt Hahn. He said, man, praying for you this morning. I don't know if you're preaching tomorrow or not. He said, I'm preaching. I'm preaching on the generosity of God in regards to repentance. I went, are you kidding me? What's your text? So we were talking about that. It was really cool. That was really neat. So right now, both of you are getting the generosity of God in regards to repentance. Columbia, South Carolina, Cary, North Carolina. Amen. I love how God works. So here's the verse, 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not, present tense, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, present tense. And another way we can say this verse is this. He who covers his sin, God will uncover. He who uncovers his sin, God will cover. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is the generosity of God seen in repentance. And the first thing that I want you to see, the first thing I want you to see is this, the generosity of God is seen in his warning. The generosity of God is seen in his warning. 
You know, when I take a look at this verse and I've read this verse my whole life and I've memorized this verse and I've never taught on the verse, but as I was looking at it this morning, it brought me back to just Old Testament where I would just like, yes, God's gonna get him. If you're in sin, he's gonna get you and he's glorified in doing that. And it was very, I was very Old Testament in my approach to it. And as I was reading this verse this week, I just felt like, I just was led by the Lord and the Holy Spirit under conviction that this verse is so beautiful as it pertains to the generosity of God because he's simply giving us a warning if we do not repent. And God wants us to repent. God wants us to confess. God does not want us to con- just doesn't want us to conceal. I-, I was thinking of this verse and I, I grew up in the 90s and, and, and was in college, and when I was early 90s, man, I was in college, and man, they had all these Christian t-shirts, and one of the t-shirts was, cops, Christians obediently preaching salvation. And man, you were the coolest, okay, that's corny, I know. But if you were the man, you had that, you went to Lifeway, and you got your cops t-shirt, and you put that on, and then there was another t-shirt, which made me, when I read this verse, it made me go back there, and it was like, repent and believe, be French fried or sanctified. I was like, I really, really will not admit if I wore that t-shirt. Let's go on, move on, please. Okay. And so when I took a look at the verse, I'm just like overwhelmed at the, the Old Testament, just yes, God's gonna get you and God's gonna get you. And that's not what I believe the verse is teaching us this morning. The verse is teaching us that, that there is a warning if you do not repent because a holy God wants us to repent. He wants that uninterrupted relationship with us. And he is generous by offering you and I a warning. I don't know if you've crossed a railroad track this morning, but, but I did not, but have. And I'm grateful for the warnings that a train is coming. I'm grateful for when the light flashes and the arms go down. Even if there's no train coming, I'm glad at least they're practicing. Okay? It's down. I can prepare it. I'm, I'm safe. Okay? I'm grateful that for those who live in Oklahoma who have these sirens that go off if a tornado is coming. Because that's a warning that danger is coming. You need to take cover. You need to take cover. But you know, there was no warning on 9-11 for those working in the 95th floor of Tower 1. There was no warning. And there was great destruction. And there was no warning for those that were on the beach in Thailand when the tsunami hit December 23rd, 2006. And here is a God, a generous and wealthy God who comes to us and says, hey, listen, listen to me. If you cover it up, I'm gonna uncover it and you will not prosper. It's past tense. We were driving in the car the other day out of a restaurant and uh, Luke, man, he was just overwhelmed with the hiccups. And um, seeing that Dan and I are such good parents, I said, get him. I whispered, get him. And simply what that means is, scare the fool out of him. Because, right, you know, the wise tale is, scare somebody and the hiccups will go away. Did you not know that? You didn't know that, okay. So, finally, you're supposed to like, get him and the hiccups go away. I don't know if you've heard, anybody hear that before? Okay, there we go, all right, oh, you're with me. And so I was like, I was like, Luke's in the back seat, he's like, oh, <coughs> he's doing the hiccups and stuff. And all of a sudden, Dana unbuckles her seatbelt, rolls discreetly, and I said, tell me when it's gonna happen because I don't want to get scared either. <laughs> and so she gave me a warning, but she didn't give the kids a warning, and all of a sudden, she turned around and went, ah! And I'm telling you, the look on their face was like, 
terror. And Jake is there going, ah, ah. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, we're trying to get rid of the hiccups. Luke's got the hiccups. I'm dying laughing. I got tears coming down my eyes. And Jake goes, you didn't give me a warning. And you scared me. And I'm sitting here going like, here, here is a holy God. Here is a generous God. And he's not sitting here saying, listen, if you sin, I'm going to out you. He's looking at you going, I'm generous, I'm loving, and I want you to know something. If you conceal it, I'm going to out you, and I'm glorified. So I don't want you to conceal it. I don't want you to cover it. I, want not, I do not want to have uninterrupted relationship, uninterrupted relationship with you. I want you to prosper. I want you to know me. I want to know you. Present tense, will not prosper. And so when I, see, when I see the verse prosper, will not prosper, I'm all the time thought, thinking about, you know, money. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm studying the text, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, oh, it's talking about money. This has nothing to do with your 401k, how much money you made this week or last week. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is the richness of God's presence in your life. And if, you're going to, if we are going to conceal our sin, we will never experience the beautiful richness of a wealthy and generous God in our lives and we will be incapable of being the people that God's called us to be. And that's why he gives us a warning because that's what he does not want for us. He knows that your greatest need and my greatest need is a dynamic, ongoing, flourishing relationship with the holy God who loves us and wants to do great things in and through us but he cannot do that, cannot do that when we are holding on to this secret sin and concealing it because we will not, will not prosper. It's amazing sometimes what we do with sin. We entertain it, we excuse it, we sort of like put it off to the side. I am a huge, huge Nat Geo Wild fan. I mean, Nat Geo Wild, I mean, it's like, you, you know, Birds of prey, animals of prey, when animals attack, I think that's awesome. And so the other day, I'm sitting here and I'm watching Net Geo Wild, and it was a special, and it was on the Wolverine. I honestly have never seen a real-life Wolverine in my life. And the crazy thing about it was, is that this guy who is hanging out with this Wolverine and doing some things with it, he's like the host, and he's hanging out with a wild Wolverine. And he's like grabbing on his arm and he's slinging it back and forth and the jacket rips and he's like, he's got this accent. Oh, I have to wait a minute. I've got to leave because the, the Wolverine's getting a little too excited and I got to move. He's, I'm like, dude, he's a wild animal. What are you doing? I'm at, what are you doing? He's wild. Sometimes we take a look at on, on the shows and you see the, the person who takes the arm and puts it in the alligator. Don't do this at home, but puts the arm in the alligator, puts their head in the alligator. Next thing you know, they're like armless because the alligator bit them off and they're on camera and they're crying and they're going, what in the world happened? It's a wild animal. And the Bible says in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says the devil roams about like a roaring lion, listen, seeking whom he may devour. And we cannot take sin and we cannot treat sin or excuse sin or entertain sin or put it off because it will devour us. He will devour us. Satan will devour us. And we will not be, we will not prosper. And this great God that we serve, this great, generous, loving God that we serve, says, I'm not giving this to just, yeah, get you out there. I'm getting this in here to wake you up that I'm giving you a warning. 
if you do this, then I'm going to do this. The generosity of God is seen in his warning. The generosity of God, number two, is seen in his forgiving. Look at verse two. The second part of the verse. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, here's what's going on right now. Some of us are overwhelmed with sin. And some of us are getting really quiet where we are because we think, oh gosh, that means I gotta tell everybody. No, this is a command for us to come clean before a holy God and him and only him. He's saying, I want you to come clean before me. And I'm not sure what sin has got you so easily ensnared and entangled. Is it the sin of pornography that's overwhelmed you? Is it the sin of alcoholism? Is it the sin of gambling? Is it the sin of being greedy with your money? Is it the sin of gossip? Is it the sin of slander? Maybe it's just the general sin of idolatry where you are ascribing God's status to something that is not and is a cheap imitation of the real thing. And God is saying to us, I want you, you will not prosper if you conceal it. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. I am generous in giving this to you because if you, can, if you uncover it, I will cover it with the blood that was shed on the cross for your benefit. Take a look. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So present tense, will not prosper. Present tense, will obtain mercy. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you see that? If you want to underline it, highlight it, circle it, whatever you need to do, but circle the part all. There is nothing that is bigger than him. There is nothing that is greater than him. His sin, your sin, is not bigger than what he is, who he is, and how he operates. It's overwhelming and it's mind-blowing. The generosity of God is seen in forgiving. True confession particularizes sin. It makes it specific. Here's a quote I want to read to you right now. It says this. True confession particularizes sin. The wicked man confesses in wholesale and is general. Oh God, forgive me this and forgive me, just forgive me and forgive me and forgive me and no specifics. But here's what he says. However, the man of God who is sincere and whose confession is voluntary goes through a diligent inspection of his heart that leads to a confession that is specific with a resolve not to repeat them. Confession involves a, a, a diligent inspection of our heart. The Bible says he will obtain mercy, as I said. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan that I, that I quoted earlier, said that there are six ingredients for sin. Now, in the version outline, this is there for you. If you want to jot these down, that's fine. But he says, when we come to understand what sin is in our life, there are six ingredients that we need to make sure that we're aware of. Six ingredients that we have to understand and unpack. First is the sight of sin. Sin must be seen before it can be wept for. Sin must be seen before it can be wept for. Luke 15, 17 says the prodigal came back, realized he was in a big pit, and all of a sudden it says he came to himself. 
He saw where he was. He saw what he had, the wealth he had. He saw what he wasted, and he came to himself. He saw his sin. And here's what I'm asking, is I'm helping you, and I'm encouraging you, and I want to challenge you to help you see your sin, not to make excuse of it, not to put it off, not to entertain it, but to deal with it. Then the second thing is there's a sorrow for sin. Martha, when she stood at Jesus' feet, was stood there weeping because of her sin. There was a great sorrow for her sin in Luke 7, 38. That's the story of Martha. And then the next ingredient is a confession. So there is a sight of sin, there is a sorrow for sin, and then there is a confession of sin. And here's the deal. Here's what we talked about this morning. What is it? What are we talking about? He is saying specifically, listen to me. I want you to come to me. This is not between you and your accountability partner. This is not between you and anyone else. The relationship that has been affected is between you and me and a holy God. And that's the first place that confession and repentance begins with. And a generous God gives us a warning if we don't do that. And a generous God gives us forgiveness when we do do that. As he commanded And then after confession of sin, um, Watson goes on to say that there is a shame for sin. Psalm 51, 7, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, for I have sinned against you. There is a shame for what has been done. And then after there's a shame, there's a hatred for sin. There's a hatred. There's this sound repentance begins in love and it ends with the hatred of the very act of sin. And then lastly, there's in verse six, or number six is a turning from sin where he turns. Remember what Watson said at the beginning. Remember the definition that we had right from the beginning that, that he said, we are, repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Visibly reformed. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just make sure that this sinks in, that you really understand what we're talking about this morning. I want to help us really see, God, who, who are you and what are you offering? We understand that you are generous. We understand that you are generous because um, you have given us your very best. You have given us Jesus, and Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God, and one day he's going to come back. Before he got there, before he sat at the right hand of God, what did he do? He went to the cross, he came off the cross, went into the grave, came out of the grave so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be transformed and we could be redeemed. And that is a generous, generous God. And in the meantime, what does he say? Hey, listen, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit because I'm generous. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can reveal to you your sin. The Holy Spirit can give you power in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit can help you understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit can help you relate to one another. The Holy Spirit can help you witness to each other, serve each other, love each other, and help you be reminded of the things that I left you here to do. I'm gonna leave the Holy Spirit with you and that's generous too. But in addition to that, he gives us a warning of what happens when we don't repent. And he allows us to be forgiven for all of the sins when we do repent. Listen, when we uncover our sins, he covers them. Psalm 32, I'd love for you to turn there, if you will. Psalm 32. I I really would love for you to turn there. It's verses one through five. I don't want to start reading until you're there. It summarizes our text and what we've been talking about this morning, I think, very clearly. Psalm 32, starting at verse 1, going to verse 5. And this is the heart 
of the psalmist was writing and the idea of forgiveness and confession was overwhelmed, it overwhelmed him. And so here's what he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look at verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So as he was covering his sins, his bones wasted away. He did not prosper. He was not effective. He wasn't living a powerful life that God has told you and told me we could live. But here's the good news. Flip over. Go to verse four. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Here it is. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He who covers his sin, God will uncover. And that is a warning to you and to me by a gracious and generous holy God. But he who uncovers his sin, God will cover. And that is the forgiveness that is offered to us by a gracious and generous and wealthy God. And what I'd like to do with you right now is I'm not exactly sure where you are in regards to just this sin that so easily ensnared us, as Hebrew says. And what I want to do is I am not asking anybody to stand up, come forward, do anything like that, but I want to give you a chance right where you are to bow your head, close your eyes, and to come before a holy God and to pray. And if the Lord leads you to confess, and if the Lord leads you to uncover, so that you may prosper, so that times of refreshing may be made anew, and so that you may obtain mercy that is guaranteed yours when we confess from the offer of a generous and holy God. So I just want you to spend some time and I just want you to pray. Bow your heads and pray and I'll bring us back in just a minute. Holy God, I am so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be still and to reflect and to listen and to see your warning if we do not repent. May none of us leave here today holding on to something that is really holding us back from, from experiencing your mercy and from experiencing the prosperity we have in you in terms of your presence.